Welcome everyone to 1111 Calling. I'm your host, Michelle Haynes. And today I'm super excited to have the velvet voice of stillness with us, David G. David G has taught millions of people around the world to heal their hearts, plant powerful intentions, and manifest their dream lives. His grasp on time-tested solutions combined with real-world practical applications have helped people at every stage of life circumstances find balance, heal deep wounds, and transform into their best versions. Welcome, David G. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Michelle. And the honor is mine as well. I'm, I'm so pleased that we get to connect this way. And I feel whenever I think about these interviews that I'm going to do what a privilege it is to be able to connect with so many different kinds of people and so many beautiful people and then to share that with listeners around the world. It truly is just a joy that I've newly stumbled upon. So, um, you know, I'm in the process of reading your book, um, Sacred Powers, The Five Secrets to Awakening Transformation. I had every intention of having it read through by the time we were going to be meeting and talking. And there's a lot in there. It's a lot to digest and chew on. And first, I usually let people give a little bit of a background on themselves and how they got here. And that is something that was in the introduction to that book, which my jaw was down the whole time I was reading it. So if you wouldn't mind giving the listeners a, a little taste of what's in that introduction that helps us understand how you got to this point of sharing what you're sharing. Sure. Um, and thank you for in, uh, endeavoring to, uh, to read Sacred Powers. Um, you know, that, that is so distinctly a, a labor of love and soul. And there are times in the book where I'll encourage the reader to stop reading, sit down and reflect. You know, it might be the only book where the author says, no, stop, <laughs> step away. Please and, hold. And, <laughs> and integrate some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started meditating uh, when I was in college. Uh, essentially, there was a uh, experimental Asian studies uh, class and there were 12 of us in it. And we sat in a circle um, our Zen master stood in the corner. Uh, we were instructed when we meditated to raise our hands uh, anytime we had a thought pop into our heads. And in his hand, he carried an 18-inch bamboo stick named, known as a keisaku. And when we raised our hands, he would come over and hit us on the back. Um, so I only lasted in that school of meditation <laughs> a little while. Um, <laughs> I, figured, I, I loved all the benefits of meditation, but I didn't want to get hit when I had a thought. And so I left that, um, got into candle gazing, then got into mindfulness and Vipassana and mantra and Tantra and even chocolate tasting meditations, mm. which I think are very important. And um, as I, as I, you know, as the years went on and as I got more deeply involved in the corporate world, um, I started passing on my meditation. And, you know, suddenly something that was so important just got replaced uh, by my commitment um, to my job and to everything that was going on. And as meditation started to slip away from me, I realized balance was also slipping away from me. Um, you know, it was pretty, it was, a, it was a pretty fascinating moment when I suddenly realized, oh, um, I'm not meditating anymore. 
I had traded in my early morning practice for an early morning train ride to the World Trade Center. I had traded in my evening practice for a glass of scotch, which most people do in that um, rather than meditate. And like that, meditation was gone and balance was also gone from my life. And I was feeling pretty empty. Um, in the wake of 9-11, I was walking past a row of cardboard boxes that people were living in. And as I walked past this one particular box, a hand reached out, grabbed my pant leg, pulled me in, and this face peered up at me with these blue crystalline eyes and said, what's going to be on your tombstone? It was a fairly reflective moment. And in the book, I refer to that as a, a butterfly moment. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, everything stops. And suddenly, perhaps you're in a conversation with God in that moment, or the divine, or, or, or whatever. But it's definitely not two, two humans just having a chat. And it seemed like it was hours that the traffic stopped, the people stopped, the noise stopped. It was just the two of us. And it was probably just a couple of minutes, actually. Um, but when he asked me this question, what's going to be on your tombstone, suddenly, I don't know, but it was like lightning bolts surged through me. And I started um, breathing very, very quickly. My heart was palpitating. Um, I staggered away, sat down on, a, on some steps of an apartment building uh, about 50 feet away, and my heart was racing, tears were streaming down my eyes, and just that, just that conversation suddenly really truly made me reflect on why am I here, what am I doing, what's this all about, and um, went home that night, told my wife what happened, and she said, you need to quit your job. And there's this meditation retreat in Oxford, England. Deepak Chopra is leading it. You should head off, head off there and check it out. Maybe you should, you know, reconnect with your meditation practice. And so I'm fairly obedient, and I did that, <laughs> and, and headed off to, uh, to Oxford. There was supposed to be about 2,000 people at this event, uh, but because it was so close to 9-11, the planes weren't really flying a lot. And so there were only 50. Hmm. And really over that period of time, um, probably by the third day of just meditating and meditating and meditating and meditating, uh, it was like my heart, which had been like this, say, a white linen cloth that had been, you know, so deeply submerged into black India ink. You know, I was so empty inside. I was in such pain. I was, there was a void um, and an agony inside of me, deep, deep, you know, depression. And by the third day of meditating, it was like that cloth had been draped in a rushing stream and cleansed. And for the first time, probably in 20 years, I felt joy. It was like, well, wow, I remember that feeling, <laughs> joy. And um, I didn't want it to leave. And so I headed off on my little eat, pray, love journey without eating <laughs> and, and the love um, to India and in search of the guru, searching high and low for the guru. Went, went up into the Himalayas to visit His Holiness, um, the Dalai Lama, he wasn't there that day. Went down deep into the southern tip of India. I was praying and meditating and practicing yoga and bathing in the Ganges and talking to all these oracles and sages, you know, on the side of the road. And I did not find the guru. I was just searching for this, for these deep answers. And then I'm probably at about five and a half months, I'm laying in a hammock in a cashew forest in Kerala, reading the Bhagavad Gita. Um, as I read chapter two, verse 48, where uh, 
for those of you who don't know what the Bhagavad Gita is, it's ancient um, text in Sanskrit. And it's really the first conversations with God. It's the great warrior Arjuna is on the battlefield. He's supposed to lead his soldiers into this big battle. But as he gazes across the battlefield, he sees friends and relatives and teachers and those he played with and grew up with, and he can't warrior. He can't do the thing that he's the best at in the world. <laughs> and he's just sobbing. He's sitting on his chariot and sobbing. And this, this guy rides up on a chariot and says, what's going on? And he says, oh my God, you wouldn't believe it. I'm so conflicted. I am at such a crossroads. I don't know what to do. Um, and the guy in the chariot says, well, um, I've got 5,000 soldiers. If you want, I can be your charioteer and those 5,000 soldiers will go over to the other side or um, you can take my soldiers and I'll go to, over to the other side. And Arjuna says, I don't need more soldiers. I need answers. So I'll take you charioteer and the soldiers can go to the other side. And the charioteer says, good call, dude. Because I'm God. And um, now the conversation, it's 18 chapters, this magnificent conversation of Arjuna talking to God about purpose and meaning and dharma and duty and life and death and love and why are we here? And suddenly, you know, chapter two, verse 48, when, you know, Arjuna says, how am I supposed to walk through the world? And God replies, yoga sta kuru karmani. Yoga sta, establish yourself in the present moment, kuru karmani, and then perform action. And it hit me like a lightning bolt. And it was like, oh, I get it. I get it now. I get it now. That's how I want to live my life. Getting still, getting reflective, having some self-inquiry, and then being my best version. And so I raced back home um, to, uh, to New York and just meditated. That's all I did. I meditated every day, meditated every day, every night, um, meditated for like seven, eight hours a day. And after a few months, um, my friends were worried about me. And so they had an intervention and they were like, dude, all you do is sit around and meditate. And I was like, I know, I love that. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It's so great. And they're like, no, mm, nah, not, not really. Remember, establish yourself in the present moment and then perform action. That's yeah. like supposed to be the thing that's so important to you. So it's, it's time for you to perform some action. Um, why don't you learn to teach other people how to meditate? It's like, eh, I'm not really interested in that. And they said, well, if you really want to learn something, learn to teach it. And I said, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I didn't know about this, but a friend of mine said, you know, your friend Deepak, he's got this, he's got a center in, in California. And um, why don't you continue your meditation training and get certified to teach meditation? And so, again, I'm a fairly obedient friend and listener. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did. I headed off to, uh, to California to this workshop that was going to help certify me as a teacher. And at that workshop, um, Deepak and his partner, Dr. David Simon, um, it was a love connection. And they offered me the job to be the COO of the Chopra Center. You know, I hadn't been working for like a year and a half. I just wow. been sitting around meditating. And so um, then I became the lead educator once I got certified and once I started teaching people on a daily basis. And mm -hmm. then I became the dean of Chopra Center University. And I apprenticed under them um, for about 10 years. Wow. And that just gave me such exposure to, first of all, so many you know amazing beings, um, but also to finding out, you know, all the issues that meditation can help solve. 
and all the practices and all the nuances and all the techniques, it sparked something inside of me. You know, I, I didn't want to teach. I never thought I would ever share it with anyone. Uh, but here I was finding something inside of me like this stuff is so cool. I have to share it with as many people as possible. And so in 2012, I wrote Secrets of Meditation and um, left the Chopra Center, headed off on my own so I could teach in schools and hospitals and prisons and pretty much share these teachings with, with, with anyone out there. And um, then I created uh, my own meditation academy. And yeah. so for the last nine years, that's what I've been doing, traveling in the world, teaching people how to connect to the stillness and silence that rests within. And I teach them that they don't have to blow up their lives and head off to India and search <laughs> the guru. You know, suddenly, you know, what I found in India was the guru rests inside. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, the answers to every single question that we could ever ask ourselves actually rests inside. And if we can just quiet down the fluctuations of our mind, if we can just like slow the swirl that's like spinning outside of us and inside of us, we can hear the whispers in our heart. We can hear the whispers of the divine and we can get divine guidance in how we move forward. So that's sort of like what's brought me to, to this. Since then, I've written a few more books. Sacred Powers was my most recent one. Um, I've recorded, I don't know, 1300 guided meditations. And um, that's what I do. I'm on a mission to share people, um, to share with people how to connect to that stillness and silence that rests within. Well, I have to say, I personally am very grateful that you have chosen to do this. I um, I don't know when it was, but I think the first time I did meditation that I can remember was a Deepak Chopra, 21 days of gratitude. And um, my sister sent it to me or something. And I thought, I can do this. And it was like, 50, I think they were each like 15 minutes. And I probably didn't do them all, you know, missed some days here and there. But I remember thinking, hmm, at the end of whenever that was, and maybe I did 20 days, or maybe I did 10, I don't remember now. I'm guessing I didn't do them all because consistency is an issue sometimes. <laughs> but I remember thinking, um, I would do them in the morning and I felt more grounded through the day and I'm s smart enough and intuitive enough to recognize their, those things were related. And so every time one of those free meditation things would come up, I'd sign up and I'd do it. And that was about it. And I'd pick it up and set it down and pick it up and set it down. And I think it might've been before COVID that I stumbled across Insight Timer through the recommendation of a friend. And then once COVID started, I hate that that's a marker in my life, but once COVID started, I thought, yeah, I gotta do this more often and more seriously and kind of dedicate more time and attention to it because I need that groundedness. And in there, I, I did different, you know, morning challenges and this and that. And I explored all these different people and types of meditation. And there was a woman named Juelia Orlick. And I kind of really liked her style and her voice. And it was easy to go with. And when I looked on her website, 
she mentioned she got her teacher training through you. So I go back to Insight Timer and I look up your name and lo and behold, I had several of yours in my favorites already. And so then I kind of started delving in and there's something about your presentation, your voice or the information that you offer, kind of some of the tools that you incorporate and how you explain a little bit about what they are and how to utilize them or different mantras really resonated for me. And so I've, I still do some by other people, but I've really delved in. I've done your 40 days. I've done the Shakti course. I've nice. done the second meditation of the day. Um, and I kind of dabble in all of those and I have your book now and I probably sound like some crazy, you know, obsessed stalker, but you, what you're offering and how you're offering fits for me. And I had recently um, talked with Brad Yates, and I don't know if you're familiar with who he is. He's um, into EFT and tapping. And somewhere in one of his courses, he mentioned that, you know, we all have something special to offer. And it doesn't matter if there's already 50,000 people doing what you want to do, because the way in which you're going to do it and the voice that you have to offer can only be heard by certain people. So there's people out there longing for what you have to say or to offer and, but they can only hear it from you. So it doesn't matter if there's, you know, 20, 50,000 people doing meditation or, you know, nutrition counseling or art or whatever it is that we each of our gifts are, there's people out there that need it from you. And so I firmly believe that um, over the summer, I, I, I love water and I was, um, I grew up in Michigan and Northern Michigan on Lake Michigan is my Zen space. It's kind of my sweet spot of the universe. And I was just kind of waiting in the water and felt bliss. And like you're saying, the message from the divine, or some people call it a download or whatever, it was write a poem about the lake and do a meditation. And I'm kind of chuckled, like, I don't, I don't write poetry. Are you joking? Like, what are you talking about? And it, it just was really strong. Like, nope, this is what you're supposed to do. So I did it, you know, I did it. Um, it wasn't, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning anything, but I did it. And I realized just that knowing in my gut, I, I'm going to be doing more of this. And just the experience of this podcast has been a journey in and of itself. Um, the people that I connect with and how they appear is part of my journey of growth and learning and, and then being able to share that with people for whoever needs that, right? But along this, I've discovered through different conversations with people, um, the housekeeping I need to do inside my own heart <laughs> and in my own life um, is becoming clearer to me. And meditation is part of that. Reading this book is part of that. I know I'm going to be doing something, you know, I at first was like, I'm going to do this meditation teacher, masters of meditation teaching in January. And then I was like, pump the brakes, hon. You got some, you know, let your mud settle. Like you say, there's some other stuff that needs to happen first, but I can see down the road um, I'm moving in this direction. I'm really excited about it. And for what purpose, I don't know yet, 
It could just be for my own benefit and it might be to share with others probably will be because I think that's, that's the good stuff, you know, of life is that sharing. So again, I'm grateful that you're doing what you are doing because it's definitely um, affecting my life in a positive way. And so, uh, you know, reading the sacred powers right now, you talk about those butterfly moments for me, that was one in the lake, you know, and, and we have those various times if we are open to hearing them. And I think um, I'm starting to recognize when those come through more and more. And even if they don't make sense, kind of pay attention to it. And that's kind of a big point of this podcast is 1111 calling, you know, 1111. I don't know if you're familiar, angel numbers, ones represent manifesting and personal growth and, and change. And then the calling is that calling from the universe. So to kind of be open and listen and pay attention because when those come through, they have meaning, even if they don't seem to make sense to us in that moment, like for you, you know, I'm not going to teach, but down the road, here you go. There you are. I want to kind of discuss the divine principle of one, you know, this is obviously we're not going to go through the whole book here, but that's really that divine principle of one. And this came up recently in a podcast episode with a gentleman named Mark Gober, who was talking about consciousness and, and what it is. And, you know, is it part of the, the brain or separate from, and it's separate and he talks about the divine principle of one. I think that's an important thing right now in the current climate of the world. Um, and what I find challenge, like, I, I get it in my head can feel it a lot of the times in my heart, but other times it's really challenging for me because how do you keep that in perspective and keep an awareness of current events and you know what what your beliefs are within that? And I mean, there's just so much divisiveness around so many topics right now. So how to, to stay grounded in that divine principle of one and that understanding that we're all interconnected and that what you're seeing is a reflection of yourself in some way when you're like, oh, heck no, <laughs> you know, what's happening with that political group or that, you know, current event or whatever <clears throat> is absolutely not what I want. And it absolutely is not what I believe in. So how do you reckon with that? <clears throat> These are, these are great, deep um, questions. Um, but first, I, I just wanted to, to piggyback on, on what you were saying. I believe that transformation um, comes from a divine conversion of uh, three things, message, messenger, and timing. And so like you were saying, there may be a million people with the exact same message, putting it out there, putting it out there. but we're going to tune in or tap into particular messengers and maybe we like the style maybe we like the the word the way they write certain words maybe we like the way they speak certain words maybe we like their sensibility or or i don't know but in in our in our hearts suddenly oh this is a trusted source mm -hmm. and so there's so much information but we're not necessarily seeing every other dispenser of that information as a trusted source of it. Um, and we can have the perfect message and the perfect messenger, but if the timing isn't there, if we're distracted, if mm -hmm. we're involved in something else, if we're not fully receptive, 
There have been moments where I've been teaching something in terms of like in one of my classes, what I thought was like so, so perfect and so amazing. Um, and a person will just like, you know, pick up their phone and suddenly go like, oh, my niece just had her baby. And in that moment, the message just went right by. You know, mm -hmm. That moment was there. You know, she was fully present for it. But then, you know, life happens. And, and so think of that just on like a moment to moment basis. But that's happening in our world as well. And that's why if we can, you know, connect to a message and, and connect to a messenger and then the timing is right, you know, and that messenger could be a petty tyrant in your life. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be, you know, some sage, um, you know, suddenly it can be like, we learn a lot from people who, who often don't, you know, agree with us. Um, I'm okay hanging out with people who don't agree with me. I'm okay with people who are totally against my political beliefs, my cultural beliefs, my societal beliefs, as long as they're rooting for me to succeed. You know, yeah. it's when we suddenly start to say like, well, that person believes this and I hope they die. It's just like, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of room for that. I've heard a lot of that lately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. crazy yeah. to me. Um, you know, and so you could say, well, you know, we've never been, you know, as polarized as this. Um, who knows? In, you know, maybe maybe thousands and thousands of years ago, yeah, as, I was as, like, as, in, as, as warring villages were sweeping into your town to kill you, yeah. you know, perhaps it was a little more divisive. Uh, we, we, we honestly don't know. But I'm, the, I'm a believer in the concept of, um, first of all, I do believe in you know, the, the divine principle of oneness isn't some, you know, kooky thing that I came up with mm -hmm. as I started to explore ancient, um, uh, ancient Africa and ancient Egypt and ancient China and ancient Babylonia and ancient India and even First Nation um, and indigenous peoples on, on, on this continent. Um, they all had this concept, no matter who they pray to or mm -hmm. what they believed in, they all had this concept of this principle of oneness. Um, in Sanskrit, it's referred to as Advaita, A-D-V-A-I-T-A, -A, Advaita, which means non-dualism. So yeah. what's, what's oneness? Non-dualism. Yeah. Um, and essentially that teaching you know, says that there's no difference between your soul and the divine spirit. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, there's no difference between my soul and the divine spirit. Oh, and by the way, there's no difference between your soul and my soul. It's sort of like, I don't know, is that algebra? Uh, if A equals B, <laughs> B equals C, then A equals C. Um, and so suddenly we realize, you know, what's in you is also in me. And it's probably the, the much deeper aspect of your existence. You know, your existence um, is, is, is much deeper than um, that politician or that belief system, or this type of thing. Your existence, you know, the, the soul that rests inside of you, it's the foundation upon which you live. And so um, not in this flesh casing that we're sealed yeah. in for the span of a lifetime, but actually um, something so much deeper. And so Advaita says, you know, that we have a personal body, um, that we have um, an extended body, which is everything not in our personal body. So you're my extended body, I'm yours. Everything, you know, in, you know, your background is my extended body. These trees, every other person on the planet is our extended body. Um, and we have a, um, an energetic body. 
you know, prana that's flowing through us. It's a, so that's in the, in, the, in the physical realm. In the uh, subtle or psychological realm, it says that we have a mind. And the mind is just the receiver of all the impressions. Every sensation that we experience, every thought that comes into mm-hmm. us, the mind just receives those. And um, then that moves to the intellect. And the intellect is sort of like the yum-yuck machine, which is like, <laughs> that, feels, that feels good. That doesn't. You know, that's comfortable. That's not. I like it. I don't like it. And we're doing that, you know, thousands of times, probably per second. You know, this air feels good. I don't like that color. My knee itches. You know, like all those yum, yuck, yum, yuck, yum, yuck, yum, yuck. So the intellect sort of like parses all of that down. And then what comes out of that is the ego, our sense of self. It's mm-hmm. all the stuff we claimed. Like, I like all that stuff. And all the stuff we're like, mm, no, I don't like that. And so that's in the subtle or psychological realm. And then according to Advaita, these, this, these teachings of non-dualism, um, in addition to the, the physical realm and the subtle realm, there's the causal realm. And the causal realm contains our soul. And you know that's our connection to the divine. Uh, it contains our collective soul, all the stuff that you and I believe in, even though it was never taught in school and we didn't even grow up next to each other. But just like, what's that? What's in the collective? You know, rooting for the underdog, um, understanding the love of a mother for a child. Even though I've never been a mother, I understand the love of a mother and a child because I was on the receiving end, you know, of that um, as well. So there's just certain things that collectively we all believe in, even though they were never taught, they're embedded at some soul level. And then the third component of the causal realm is spirit. which flows through every aspect of existence. And so these ancient teachings say, guess what? Your physical body, all that, that flesh casing, your extended body, energy, it's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. These are just things that separate you from understanding that you are pure unbounded spirit. Um, even in the, in the subtle or psychological realm, your mind, your intellect, your ego, yeah, that helps you move around you know, as you're here for the span of a lifetime, but all illusionary. The only thing that's not an illusion is that you at your core go deeper still are pure unbounded consciousness. That's who you are. Now, if we go back to like potentially, potentially 2000 years ago, the guy who wrote the yoga sutras um, and pretty much codified all things yoga, um, his deepest understanding, puts it right out there. You are pure unbounded consciousness. But, oh, by the way, you have all these modifications of the mind. All these things that we latch onto or that we reject, memories, projections, um, belief systems, like all that stuff. So he's, he's acknowledging, you know, here's who you are, but you've got all this other stuff too. And so really the practice of yoga which means oneness, um, is designed to help you sort of like let go of so many of those modifications that are just getting in the way of you recognizing who you are, which is pure unbounded consciousness. So we can take stuff really seriously. And I think that's what, that's what really our issue is. Everybody's taking themselves so seriously. And uh, like my opinion matters. 
you know, my opinion matters more than your opinion matters. And, you know, you're wrong and I'm right. And, you know, and these ancient teachings would say, all that stuff is, is just illusion. So you can get aggressive about it or you can be passive about it. Um, but ultimately, at least recognize that, you know, you are pure spirit. That's who we are. And so you still have to pay bills, still have to stop at a red light. Um, just to, you know, there's like a whole bunch of stuff that we still have to do to, to navigate this physical existence. But if we can know at our core, that even that person who's saying that thing that is just so anathema, so anti everything I believe, um, let me have some compassion for them. Let me actually root for them to heal. If I believe that they are distinctly wounded and you know crazy well let me root for them to to heal let me root for them to be better and you know we're probably politically at this point you know um, and i watch a lot of tv a lot of tv like at least four hours a day and so you um, do oh yes yeah I love TV. I love streaming and I'm on yeah. every single platform. I'm on, you know, you name it. I'm on, I'm on Hulu. I'm on Amazon. I'm on Apple TV. I'm on, you know, HBO and Cinemax and Showtime and stars, all that stuff. But I also do watch a lot of talking head shows and news shows and things along mm. those lines. And they used to like totally spin me out and totally drive me crazy. And, and I realized they're only driving me crazy when I'm taking myself too seriously. I go back to chapter 2, verse 48 of the Bhagavad Gita. Establish yourself in the present moment and then perform action. These ancient teachings teach us that we should be activists, that we should stand up. But that doesn't mean we have to scream at the top of our lungs and, you know, and, and, and try to overshout somebody else. It says, you know, get still, have some self-inquiry here, really reflect deeply. And like, what's your move? And so, Michelle, it's, 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 it's what you've done. You know, you've, you know, you wanted to um, create a platform and you wanted to use that platform to help people navigate this world. So, so that's your lane, or at least it's one of the things mm -hmm. that you've done um, to do that. So I can just get so pissed off about what everyone says. Oh, I don't like what you said in that moment. Or I can say, let me raise, raise the vibration of the world. I believe the highest vibration always wins. And I believe that we can actually elevate the planet by elevating our vibration. And, you know, we can say, you have a really low vibration. You need to change that. Or I can just raise my vibration. And I believe in this physics property of entrainment. Mm -hmm. Entrainment means, you know, we see it with dolphin pods. We see it with flocks of, of, of Canadian geese or birds, you know, flying in that V mm -hmm. formation. Um, I just saw, you know, I was I was out at this lake and there was a mother duck was um, there were like five teeny little ducklings behind her. And suddenly she like turned left and they all followed, except for this one little baby duck just kept, <laughs> just kept heading off in this other direction. And at a certain point, she didn't race back to get him. At a certain point, you know, she trusts in the power of entrainment. And ultimately that duck was suddenly like, whoa, 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 and then headed back up. And so if we can stay in the thing that we believe long enough and keep raising the vibration of that mm -hmm. thing, then people will come along. There's no, you know, if we think about like the Twitter arguments and the, and the, you know, all the arguments on social media 
um, and it's so polarized. Has anyone ever been convinced on social media to switch to the other side? You know, no matter know. what that side was, no one has ever. So this bizarre, feudal, it's just, we're just sort of like, you know, spewing anger at each other. And, yeah. and you know, getting anger out is great. I think it's, you know, it's an important component. We need to vent and get stuff out. But directing it at someone else and villainizing them and demonizing them um, does not accomplish the agenda. It just creates, um, it just makes it harder for us to ever um, come together. And I think, you know, it sounds so trite, but I believe kindness matters. And I yeah. believe we need to be kind to ourselves. And we all have a harsh voice in our head, you know, at some point telling us that we can't do something or that we're not good enough. Or... I call that the shitty committee. <laughs> yes. Well, we all have a shitty committee in our head. And um, it's, you know, the only way to beat the shitty committee is, is kindness. Yeah. You know, suddenly have kind words sort of like fire the shitty committee, send them off to another you know, boardroom to let, let them yeah. hang out there, but they don't need to be hanging out. You know, we let people into our heads and we would never let people, uh, we would never let them into our homes. Yeah. And yet we're like, you know, sure, sure, come right in. And we wouldn't, if they knocked on our door, we would be like, let's be silent until they go away. But meanwhile, we just like invite them in so, so quickly. And so I think that um, really the ancient teachings um, stress to us that if we're pure unbounded consciousness and that's really who you are then every modification of your mind just pushes you further away from that and you know if you can handle that you know if, you, if we can practice self-inquiry I don't believe meditation alone can make a person get to that space right um, I believe that meditation is a magnificent tool to help people get still so they can have that self-inquiry, sort of like your lake time, that you can have that, that, that real deep inner conversation and then allow your, who you are to emerge, which is pure unbounded consciousness, will ultimately take the lead and help you know, move you towards stuff. Does this mean you shouldn't care about stuff? No, that's absurd. Right. Does it, you know, but um, it was Viktor Frankl, the Austrian neurologist, psychologist, um, Holocaust survivor, who said, um, in between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies your ability to choose. And in that choice lies your growth and your freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So if we can get still and then have self-inquiry practices, you know, like what, what's really, what's my agenda? What am I trying to accomplish? You know, will yelling at this person actually move my agenda forward? Or will it just spin me up with, you know, toxic hormones and chemicals? And so I think, you know, that, that combination of getting still and having some real deep self inquiry, but I think it's also really important that you have values. Yeah. And we have to figure out like, what are our values? And like your values could be totally different than mine. But and we have to stay true to our values. And so, you know, as as we see, you know, with COVID, with the vaccine, you know, I mean, we would have we would have thought that, you know, everyone would be like, well, here's what the solution is. And everyone would have gone in that direction. Um, but there was so much questioning of, again, messenger message and timing, you know, never before, you know, this person said, 
here's what I think about the vaccine. Here's what I think about the vaccine. Here's what I think about the vaccine. And then suddenly, well, there was no trusted messenger. And then suddenly the messages got blurred. And this was the, t- the timing was right, though. We were all in the right time. We were, everyone was listening, <laughs> paying a lot of attention. But there wasn't that, you know, that conversion. And um, so we're really, you know, in a place right now where we have a choice. And um, do we want to be righteous about stuff that we believe, which may or may not be true? Mm-hmm. You know, I, don't, I don't know if our most trusted voices in medicine right now, I don't know if they're, tr- they're true or not. You know, we, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We can assume. But, you know, should I get righteous about it if I don't believe them or if I do believe them? Should I get righteous about it if this politician does this or says that? Um, no, I get to make my move. You know, I get to make, I get, I get to do the thing that, that, that elevates me. So I use my platform to help people de-escalate conflict. I use my platform to help people make better choices just by, by getting still. But I think it comes down to companies have these core, they call them core values. And I talk about mm-hmm. them in sacred powers, sacred values. You know, what, what are our values? And so if you are really clear on your values, and um, you can get still and you can practice self-inquiry, you can actually start making more conscious decisions. And, you know, violence, as far as I'm concerned, violence is not an answer under, under anyone. And there's violent speech as well. It's not an answer. Mm-hmm. We can look at Don Miguel Ruiz's, you know, the four agreements um, and, you know, simply, you know, look at, um, you know, number one, don't take anything personally. That would be perfect for this kind of environment. Everybody's <laughs> taking everything personally. Tr- trigger uh, happy right now. <laughs> right. right. Um, and uh, be impeccable with your word. People aren't, you know, they're vomiting all over each other and so angry and so, you know, mm-hmm. um, and um, don't make assumptions which is also, you know, so important. And the fourth one, obviously, um, always do your best. But, you know, just that, if we can just like, how about we practice one? Stop taking stuff so personally. Even if someone says something at you, that's really more about them. Right. It's not really about you. They don't know what's going on inside of you. They don't know why, you, why you're doing things or, or what your reasoning is. So we spend so much time on all other people, trying to fix and, and get all of these other people on board my philosophy is like, let's work on ourselves. Let's be kind to ourselves. Let's um, spend as much time as we can in self-inquiry, really understanding who we are and what we're about and what really matters in our life. Use meditation as a tool to help us get still and so that we can hear the whispers of the gods or the whispers of the divine. And oh, by the way, 11.11, for over a decade, every time it hits 11.11 on any of my devices, I will blurt out no matter where I am. <laughs> I've done this in, in the middle of giving a lecture to, to, to cops, you know, room full of police officers. You know, I'll say, it's 11.11, everyone make a wish. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sure I'm perceived as definitely the kookiest person in the room in that moment. But like, <laughs> hey, even let's say it doesn't even matter. Let's say 11.11 is gibberish. When's the last time we could suddenly stop? Yeah. And just let me let me let me see if I can connect to something bigger. Yeah. You got nothing to lose there. Right. You know, it, it gets you clear in your head at least for that moment, which we all need those moments for sure. Um, I thank you for your kind of sharing that perspective about 
um, you know, current events and, and how does I how does get back to focusing on your what you can do, what you can think, how you can react, because that's what I just keep coming back to. I talk to my husband about this a lot, is that, you know, I I I I tap in. I'm trying to do meditation before I do this. Some mornings it happens, some it doesn't, but I try to, you know, have a charcuterie board of little news bits in the morning, not too much, but, and from varied, you know, people and sources. And then I try to let that go for the day, like enough to have some semblance of an awareness or to, you know, chew on and decide, you know, where my beliefs are within that. And then really try to focus on the vibration I can put out because I do think that matters. And I do kind of look at humanity right now as this, these scales of vibration, you know, if, if enough people are trying to raise their vibration, the scales will tip this way, humanity, our collective consciousness will, will raise up in a way that I think is beneficial to, to humanity, to the world right now. Um, and if we focus too much and spin out in that negative energy and hate and anger and everything else, then that side's going to tip up. So to me, I just remind myself, hey, you got to feed what you want, you know, feed what you want to see. So that's, you know, that balancing act between being aware, not putting too much energy towards it um, in a negative, icky way, and then really trying to focus on on your vibration, your healing, or I'm talking to myself, my own healing, my own um, callings, just working on my own stuff, because trusting that that's going to move me in the right direction. And that's going to have that ripple effect vibrationally that I want to see in the world. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with stuff. And um, if and I that's, could, if I could make a recommendation to you, you may, um, uh, technique that I've been teaching for almost 20 years is RPM, rise, peak, meditate. And um, <laughs> I just and, caught that. <laughs> and uh, for those who, you know, can't do that, then I recommend meditation. And mm. meditation, you know, for people who use like a um, an alarm to wake up, just tap the snooze button. There's a, there's, there's probably, you know, 200 million people in the United States who tap the snooze button, you know, when, when it, and science has just proved, you know, when, over the last decade that, um, 10 minutes of meditation will actually be more restorative than squeezing, attempting to squeeze in those 10 minutes of, of, of sleep. Yeah. I never and, go back to sleep. And so I suggest, you know, Tap your snooze, slide your tish up to your headboard. Don't even think about leaving the bed. Pull your blankie up. If there's anyone or any beings sleeping next <laughs> to you, they'll probably just stay there and they, they won't wake up. And then keep your eyes closed the whole time and then meditate. And then when you get out of bed, you have 10 minutes of stillness and silence inside of you. That's now the platform for receiving whatever news tidbits are out there. Right. Um, there was a time when we could actually open up the news and it would actually be news. And really what we have now is opinion. 
And yeah. certainly, certainly online opinion is specifically designed to provoke and stir you up. So if you have just like this platform of stillness and silence inside of you, then at least the stuff that's designed to provoke you won't have as great a chance in doing that. There's a great book by Michelle Guillen. She's a, uh, she's a, a happiness guru. Uh, she's married to Sean Acor, who's also um, a happiness guru. And um, she wrote this book, Broadcasting Happiness. And she did this study exposing people uh, in the first 30 minutes of their day um, to violent uh, imagery. Uh, the news, you know, newspapers, things along yeah. those lines. Um, and then 12 hours later said to them, so how was your day? And even if they fell in love, got a new job, and got a new car, they were still 40% more likely to go, eh, it's okay. Then she exposed them to positive imagery, um, time in nature, meditation, puppy videos. Mm -hmm. um, and then 12 hours later said, so how was your day? Even if they lost their job, got dumped, or crashed their car, they were still 20% more likely to say, uh, it's a pretty good day. Yeah. So just that difference in like what we do in the first 30 minutes really sets the trajectory. And if we can find the time before we open the computer or touch the device or suddenly start exploring out into the world, if we can get still first, connect to that meditation, then that will follow us throughout the day. And that will everything that comes into us will be coming in just a little bit slower, a little bit softer, a little less prickly. Yeah. And I think that's a really valuable tool. So I would just might suggest that to you. I think you already got it going on. You already have a meditation practice. It's just locking it in before you expose yourself to whatever. And I appreciate that reminder. I, I know it. I don't always do it. And it's a choice. So I appreciate that just gentle reminder to do that. I did really good with that this summer. I did your 40 days of meditation and I would get up, go outside because I, I, I love nature. And when it's nice out, it's really cold in Colorado right now <laughs> this morning. But when it's nicer out, I would immediately go out in my backyard, which I love. I love gardening and there's flowers and it's just like yummy. And I would go out there first thing, I would do meditation. And then I'd follow it up. I had this little journal that my niece made, really cool little leather bound journal. And I would just fill one page with gratitude. And it was great. So I know that, you know, so it's those little gentle reminders that I need to say, you know, it feels better when you do that. So why not just do that? So I'm going to yeah. get back on course here. And, um, and there's a science behind gratitude. So gratitude, which used to be like, whatever, you know, it's just people, you know, being woo-woo. Um, actually not. The University of California in Berkeley has a school dedicated to research on gratitude. It's called the Greater Good School. And cool. there's tons of amazing studies that show that just um, a gratitude journal, um, actually writing a gratitude letter, even once a week for 20 minutes, makes a profound difference. Um, putting your attention for at least 20 seconds on one thing uh, that you're grateful for actually etches that. It, it activates the, um, 
the ventral and medial prefrontal cortex, which is our executive decision-making part of the brain. Hmm. So even just having that, and the, the most profound aspect of their research is that they have found that people who have a daily gratitude practice, like you do, um, consider their lives more fulfilling. So imagine, just by having a gratitude practice, you can live a more fulfilling life. I mean, that's amazing. That is Bravo. amazing. That's, that is amazing. It's so cool how they, I love that they're studying things now. <laughs> you, um, gosh, it was probably like seven years ago. It was a Hay House thing and it was called the like, I can do it seminar or something like that. And it was at a really icky time in my life. And um, I just felt drawn to go. I, you know, was going to find some kind of healing, something good there. And so I, I went and one of the speakers I listened to was um, Joe Dispenza. And I, I was a biology and sports medicine major. I love that kind of thing. Didn't want to do it for a living though. Um, I make my living right now as a therapist. That's <laughs> what I call myself. But um, I, I liked, he was the first person for me that I saw and recognized that was studying meditation through a scientific lens. I thought that was so cool. So I love that that's more and more common now and it's not considered yeah. like kooky and they're actually paying attention to it. I think that's great. And um, so I, I think that's really cool that Berkeley has a whole section dedicated to that, a whole program. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, well, gosh, you know, uh, is there anything else you want to share right now? So, like what's what's going on for you? Where do you, because we always are, growing and learning and so where are you at like what's what's causing you to to grow and explore and continue to be inspired um i've been putting uh, i've started to have in-person events so that's been interesting um and you know because i had pretty much been traveling the world in person um for a bunch of years and then suddenly stop and so um yeah i just had my um, my first in-person events did a week-long meditation um, retreat where we meditated for about six hours a day so that was pretty cool um, did a week my first weekend event and did my first in-person um, meditation teacher training um, in residence week in a year and a half so that was you know pretty cool and um, it's just become really important to me to teach people to meditate. So mm -hmm. you know, really the majority of my attention is on um, my master's of wisdom and meditation teacher training, really getting more people out there to teach other people. I mean, that's the leverage, yeah. you know, and they tell two friends and they tell two friends. Yes. And so that's been beautiful. We're over 500 people now that I've certified um, through this, through this process. Very cool. And they're, they're they're from all over we just you know we just certified um uh a woman who uh has had a um, hair studio she's been an operator and a studio owner for i don't know 18 years um and that's captive audience we've got someone right there oh yeah so she's so she, she's you know doing all these different meditation modalities and techniques on everyone who's sitting in the chair um with her um and so just 
but you get a kick out of that. Um, yeah. No, <clears throat> so I mean, it's a unique situation. <laughs> People yeah. don't realize there's a lot of energy exchange there. Oh my God. So, so strong. Um, yeah. There's even been, there's a lot of energy exchange even when you're having your nails done. You know, that's yeah, intense, for sure. It's a very intense and intimate um, kind of experience as well. So that's where my attention is, really helping people level up their meditation practice um, because, you know, I was once a crisis meditator and, you know, we all know, we all have been crisis meditators at times where we, we don't really have a daily practice, but, you know, in the moment we're like suddenly, you know, find our Zen. Um, just breathe, just breathe. <laughs> right. And I think if we have a proactive practice, um, it takes a lot of that away. There are fewer crises mm -hmm. and there are fewer issues. Um, so yeah, that's the thing that I'm just wild about. And um, I've been recording a lot of new um, guided meditations on different um, situations. So, uh, so that's been really fulfilling uh, for me. And uh, other than that, just hanging out with my dog. Ah, peaches. Peaches and <laughs> princess. And <laughs> snuggling up with her. She's, she's 13 now. And, she's um, so cute. She's still like skipping wildly. And, um, you know, so she's got a lot of energy. And she teaches me in every moment. Resist nothing. And you'll receive yeah. unconditional love. You know, eventually I think I'm going to get into some meditation teacher training. However, first I'm thinking about the balance uh, heal and transform or the spiritual awakening program, which that one really jumps out at me more. Um, it seems like one is a lighter version of the other. Is that kind yes. of spiritual yes. awakening is that week long where yeah. we are like every modality. And that's really what I learned. You know, um, I want to expose people to as many different types and lineages um, of meditation and different wisdom traditions so that people don't get start taking themselves so seriously that this is the way and you know i'm big on dogs right. but not big <laughs> on dogma and so you know, I'm, I'm really comfortable um sharing so many different types of techniques yeah. so yes um spiritual awakening is it's a week-long immersion when you leave there you are heavily meditated your heart is cracked wide open um and balance heal transform is sort of like the weekend version of that so yeah, yeah. That sounds really interesting to me, that spiritual awakening program. And I've read down, I'm like, two, day, two days of silence. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. my heart starts palpating. I'm like, I can do it. I know I can. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of have, I was that kid in school that got the talks too much on their report card, but it's all right. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Me too. yeah. Which is why it's so much fun for me to like, you know what, today, I, maybe I won't talk. Yeah, you know, I think that's going to feel like, first of all, once you get through it, like, ah, that wasn't so bad like that, you know, where you realize that's and then the beauty that you that you saw through that experience, like I'm excited for that. So yeah. I look forward to that. And if our listeners want to explore more about you, do you want to share um, your your website and other places that they can find sure. you? Uh, davidg.com d-a-v-i-d-j-i.com um, you can follow me on Instagram David G Meditation, and um, you can find my meditations on Insight Timer Unplugged Meditation those are meditation apps uh, yeah. on Spotify, Amazon, Apple whatever, uh, Tidal um, there's you know, Pandora, wherever wherever, yeah. wherever wherever people are listening you can 
you can find those meditations. That's and awesome. I believe there's probably one out there for you. I would think so. I I mean, I, I'm constantly discovering new ones from you. I was like, Ooh, what's this? I haven't seen this one yet. I'm going to try this one on. <laughs> I did the Dharma meditation this morning, which I thought was really cool. Reiterating what I'm already feeling. And it's like, I love when that happens, you know, when yeah. it's like the universe is like, yep, here, here like, let me yeah, reinforce that idea. Path. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks again, David G for being here. I really appreciate you and what you're doing and our conversation today. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Yeah, I hope I'm you have a beautiful you. rest. Thank you. Thank you for using your platform to raise the vibe. Yeah. Um, and um, I wish you um, continued thriving. Well, thank you. That. Thank you. Give that sweet pup a little kiss right between the eyes for me. <laughs> Take care. Enjoy your day. Namaste. I truly enjoyed connecting with David G today as he's impacted my life in such a positive way. I hope you found something from our conversation that inspires you too, whether that is starting a meditation practice, starting your day from a place of stillness and silence so as to navigate each day from a calmer space. I encourage you to check out his website and see if there's something there that speaks to you, maybe a meditation or one of his books or even a class. If you like what you heard here today, please follow me on your favorite podcast platform or share on social media. You can also check out my website, michellehaines.net. I have all my episodes there that you can listen to whenever you'd like. And for the month of December 2021, if this is when you're listening, I am running a rate and review contest. So what that entails is uh, you can go on Apple or Pandora or Audible, and you're able to follow the podcast and then rate the podcast and leave a review. If you do that, then just take a screenshot and email it to me at Michelle at michellehaines.net. If you are listening on a different platform and they don't allow you to rate and review, you can just share an episode on your social media, take a screenshot and email me that screenshot at michelle at michellehaines.net. And then at the end of December, 2021, I'll hold a drawing and the prize is a gift that was donated from one of my past podcast guests. So if that sounds like something you're into, I'd appreciate it. And then other than that, I wish you all a wonderful day. Much love to you all.